Chapter 10 The Need to Embrace Reality The Death Grip of Fantasy Have you ever seen someone run into a pole as they walk while texting? It is hilarious! Texting is hazardous. People run into poles, a woman fell into a mall fountain, and a man almost walked into a bear. Thankfully, all of these mishaps were caught on video, so the rest of us could be entertained. A woman even walked off a pier into Lake Michigan and had to be rescued by the Coast Guard. Fortunately, no one was seriously hurt in any of these specific instances. Tragically, however, not all the stories are as funny as these. In 2014, over 2,500 people had to go to emergency rooms because they were injured texting and walking. There are even text and walkers who die every year because they walk out in front of cars while they text. These texting while walking stats don't even include all the zany stories and injuries sustained from the Pokemon Go cell phone game. These include two men who fell off a 75-foot cliff, people being robbed at gunpoint, hit by cars while walking, crashing their cars into trees, and falling into ponds. A continual complaint from older generations is that millennials are unable to be, quote, present. The feeling is that this generation has been raised on video games and smartphones, so they aren't equipped to have normal conversations in real life with real people. While it's not fair to stereotype an entire generation, there are certainly young people, in fact, people of all ages, who fit this description. People who would rather play video games for 12 straight hours than get a job, or who constantly comment on the social media pages of their friends without having any real friends they can share their real lives with. A word that sums up this way of life is fantasy. I'm not talking Lord of the Rings style wizards and elves. I'm talking about a false reality someone has substituted for actual reality. While people walking into poles while playing Pokemon Go is funny, the consequences of this trend in our lives is no laughing matter. What is the opposite of life? The obvious response is death, but a viable alternative is fantasy. Think about it. Life is real. Fantasy is not. Life is the dirt beneath you. It is gravity. It is oxygen. Fantasy is dragons, galactic adventures, and unicorns. Life is your job, your bills, your responsibilities, real relationships, and conflict. Fantasy is thinking about punching your boss, desiring to live in Tahiti, and indulging in any number of unreal sexual scenarios. Fantasy is the belief that the person you are infatuated with has no flaws, or that you will always have the butterfly feeling you had when you first met. On many levels, life simply cannot compete with fantasy. While life is full of letdowns that are out of our control, we can mold and shape fantasy however we see fit. Fantasy can seem like an irresistible force. Once we get a taste of its fruits, which do not exist in reality, it reels us in again and again to sip from its magical chalice. But as we look at fantasy with an experienced eye, its glass jaw appears. For all of fantasy's appeal, its weakness is so obvious we may miss it. It is not real. 
and for those who failed their vocabulary tests in elementary school, quote, real is all we have. Imagine if you only ate fantasy food, only drank fantasy water, and only breathed fantasy air. What would happen to you? You would die. To remain alive, you must eat, drink, and breathe in reality, not just fantasize about doing such things. If this is true of these obvious necessities, why wouldn't it also be true of some of life's other primal necessities, sexuality and human relationships? Much as would be true of food or water, fantasy in our sexual lives will kill us, while living in reality will bring us life. Understanding this foundational truth is the secret weapon we need to conquer the giant of sexual immorality. In John 10.10, Jesus tells us, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This was prefaced with, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We all want life, and Jesus is offering life. Yet there is a thief who is intentionally trying to deceive us and take life from us any way he can. Once we realize that God created sex, it makes perfect sense that following his design for sex will bring life, whereas Satan's cheap substitutes will bring only empty imitation and dysfunction. The sexual sins we engage in take on many forms, but the common thread they all share is that they deceive us into living in fantasy rather than reality. It's amazing how realistic video games are nowadays. I remember playing the Atari 2600 with my brothers as a kid, We'd play, quote, football, which consisted of a collection of beige squares moving against another collection of beige squares using a black square to represent a ball. Nowadays, sports games, war games, and adventure games all offer you a picture as close to reality as possible. Games are also getting more and more interactive with motion sensing controllers and other sensory apparatus trying to offer as lifelike an experience as they can. It doesn't take much imagination to foresee how, quote, virtual reality will be incorporated into every mainstream video game soon, complete with visors and an array of body sensors. The scary part about today's video games is that they are such a far cry from the days of squares and dots. Games today not only look and feel extremely real, they are also filled with gratuitous violence and, yes, even fully nude sex scenes. It's sadly easy to see how the video game virtual reality experience will soon take over the entire pornography industry as the go-to choice for endless sexual fantasies. Imagine you created a video game so exciting and entertaining you never wanted to leave it. Think of how that would sell. And what would the inevitable impact be for a game like this? People all over the world would soon be dying at a rapid pace. They'd never actually eat. They'd go to the bathroom all over themselves. And they wouldn't care because the fantasy experience would be so powerful. Honestly, this is the exact experience many have already created in their minds. Whether it's in the realm of porn or in any other layer of extramarital fantasy, we devote an incredible amount of time and energy to fantasy a place of longing, a place that doesn't exist, like a parasite slowly sucking the life from us. 
Fantasy emaciates our reality until we become a shell of ourselves. Marrying the wrong person for married men. Pornography isn't the only place we entertain fantasy. If you're in a dry season in your marriage, you've more than likely thought about any number of the following. What if I'd married one of my ex-girlfriends instead of my wife? What would life be like with the woman at work, or at the gym, or at church? What if I had married someone who shared more of my recreational interests? If only I hadn't felt pressure from my family to get married. If only I hadn't gotten married so young. If only I hadn't gotten my wife pregnant, I could have left her. If only my wife gave me compliments the way other women do. If only my wife had more of a sex drive. If only I had married someone who was more attractive. If only I had married someone who kept themselves in better shape. If only I was single so I could flirt with and pursue this other woman. If only I was single so I could manage my house, schedule, and finances the way I want. And the list could go on and on. All these thoughts have one thing in common. None of them are based in reality. Each one is a fantasy, a false reality. Each time you ask one of those questions, you are depriving your actual reality of much-needed investment. And even if you did act on one of these thoughts, making it actually real, it would create consequences and pain that you're not picturing in your fantasy world. Acting on these questions is somewhat like believing that time travel is real. Even though the 1980s Back to the Future movies predicted Donald Trump's presidency and the Cubs winning the World Series, I'm pretty sure time travel is still out of reach. The deception beneath all these fantasies is that we are convinced we married the wrong person. There was some sort of error made and we need to go back and fix it. But you can't go back and change the past. Attempting to will only further scar your present. The truth we must embrace is that no one marries the quote right person. In reality, there's no such thing as the, quote, right person. This is an illusion fed to us by pop songs and Hollywood love stories. Leading marriage therapists, doctors John and Julie Gottman, say that when you choose whom you will marry, you are choosing the set of perpetual problems you want to deal with for the next 50 years. You could have an affair or get divorced and marry someone else, and you'd simply be marrying a different set of perpetual problems. The Gottman's extensive scientific research shows perpetual problems are as much a part of marriage as wedding rings and anniversaries are. It is ironic that we are so infatuated with Hollywood romance movies starring our favorite celebrities. These movies include fun, sexy women who fall in love with handsome, charming men. They go on exotic dates, have passionate sex, and of course, get married and live happily ever after. The wedding with corresponding group dance scene during the credits, is always at the very end of the movie. Movies about marriage itself are boring, but movies about falling in love get our juices flowing. We watch these movies, then wish our lives looked more like what we see on the big screen. The irony of this is that in reality, celebrities are often notorious for having the worst track records for success in marriage. 
yet we model our relationships after the fictional characters they embody. They make gossip headlines for their 55-hour marriages, footnote, Britney Spears in 2004, end footnote, their constant breakups, and their cheating escapades. In fact, if it weren't for the tawdriness of celebrity relationships, the $3 billion celebrity gossip industry would assuredly go bankrupt. Yet, despite these impressive records of relational shambles, these are the very people we fantasize about being with. We crave the illusions they depict in movies and songs. The relational patterns these celebrities display are the patterns we strive to emulate, convincing ourselves we'd be better off with someone other than the one we made our vows to. One of Satan's biggest lies is that you married the wrong person. What he wants most is to slowly suck the life out of your marriage and your life, and he is more than happy to offer you fantasy after fantasy to ensure that this happens. A year or two into my now 14-year marriage, my wife and I were having a hard time agreeing where to go on vacation or what to do together in our free time. We realized we didn't have as much in common as when we were gushing over one another during dating and engagement years. We decided to take a, quote, compatibility test that we found in a pre-marriage resource, one of the surveys with around 100 options of things you like to do. Each spouse has to work privately to check the boxes that apply to him or her, then compare answers together to see which things you had in common. When my wife and I took this survey, we discovered that we had zero matches, proof that each of us had married the wrong person, right? Sadly, in the world's relationship metrics, the answer would have been yes. But because we were operating under a higher authority than ourselves or our world, we did not see our marriage as doomed. Instead, we intentionally invested in each other and in our marriage. Honestly, what ended up saving our marriage was finding our individual fulfillment in the love, acceptance, and approval Jesus had already shown each of us on the cross, rather than looking for the other person to meet each of these needs. If we say we married the wrong person, we are really saying we finally discovered our spouse can't give us what only Jesus can. There's no such thing as marrying the wrong person. There's only marrying the person you married. Love your wife and invest in her. And when it feels as though you've married the wrong person, get married to Jesus. Or, quote, renew your vows with him. He is the only one whose love will truly make you whole. Pick your poison for single men. As a single man, you don't have to struggle with the fantasy that you'd be better off with someone else other than your wife. Instead, you are given a variety of fantasy choices to indulge in. You might have a girlfriend and fantasize that she is the best thing since sliced bread. You are intoxicated with her. You get a rush of endorphins whenever she's around. You worship her. She worships you. You've sinned sexually with her time and time again, forsaking God's command for your sex lives because, frankly, she feels like a much better God than God does. But the news flashes in. Reality bites. Reality will hit every girlfriend in one way or another. One option is that you'll break up and she'll become an ex, a far cry from the perfect doll you worship now. Or you'll make it long enough to get married and then reality will hit. A different transformation will take place. She'll become a wife. Throughout the history of humankind, 
every woman who gets married becomes a wife. None of them become permanently butterfly-inducing dolls. Every woman who gets married changes from the date who always has her hair and makeup done, who's always in a good mood, and who always puts her best foot forward around you. She changes from the woman who is flirtatious with you and who does whatever is necessary to keep you around. Now that she has you around, her real self comes out. A self you will never see until you actually get married. This isn't a bad or scary self that comes out. It's just her real self. Her real self, which lives in real life. Dating isn't real life. Footnote. I like to joke that dating was a part of the Genesis 3 fall of humankind. It never existed in the perfect world of Genesis 1 and 2. End of footnote. Marriage is real life. It's a life of bills and planning and teamwork and obligations and responsibilities. This woman you dated has turned into a wife. She was once one thing and now she is something else. Too busy or too stressed out to always put her best foot forward. Too much real life to work on together to be constantly playful and flirtatious. She doesn't need to flirt or primp to keep you impressed anymore. And frankly, you're no longer that impressive to her either. Sorry to burst your bubble. She's gone from worshiping you to trying to get you to clean up after yourself. From batting her eyes at you to balancing the checkbook with you. This is why guys serial date. This might be why you are serial dating as you read this. Guys date a girl for up to a year or two until reality hits. Conflict, flaws, responsibility, boredom, and then they move on to the next golden-haired woman. This is fantasy 101. Sometimes these guys, quote, settle down and get married to whomever they happen to be dating when they start to feel old or when they decide to have kids. Other times, the guy just continues to date around into oblivion. For other single guys, the fantasy is quite different. Living alone or with little Christian community, the fantasy of pornography reigns. Pixelated and airbrushed depictions of women adoring you keep you coming back for more. Every time you go back, your mind gets more hooked and more warped. Reality becomes more and more distant as the onslaught of porn has you captured. Hook, line, and sinker. For some, the fantasy turns to despair. The desire for marriage turns into despair about never being married. Footnote. Despair of never being married is very different from the choice to not be married or to embrace content submission to God's sovereignty. End of footnote. Rather than embrace this as a gift, chapter 1, they allow frustration and feelings of failure to reign. This is a much more cloaked way Satan sucks the life out of our reality but it's just as effective. Rather than embrace the reality of being single and all the blessings it can bring to God's kingdom and to your individual life, Satan can get you to toil in misery for the rest of your days, basing your entire identity on a fantasy, the fantasy of marriage, a fantasy you don't need, but you've been duped into thinking you do. Whatever your spot in life as a single man, you need to see marriage for what it is. Like your married brothers, if you get married, you, too, will ask the same doubtful questions about your wife someday. Get rid of the mindset that marriage is a, quote, happily ever after experience. It isn't for your married guy friends now. 
and it won't be for you. If you get married, fine. Have realistic expectations. If you don't get married, fine. You're not missing out on what you think you are. As it is, you are single now. So live fully in this reality. Get rid of the mindset that any form of sex is a quote happily ever after experience. That somehow sex trumps God as the most powerful force in the universe. So you get a sin pass in this one area. Get rid of the mindset that your current Jesus-soaked reality is somehow subpar or a consolation prize. Get rid of the mindset that God made a mistake when uniquely creating you as an individual or that God is holding out on you. Get rid of the mindset that it's okay to devour women. Get rid of the mindset that a woman can be a better God for you than God can. Get rid of the mindset that there are no repercussions to your lust and your fantasy, even if you remain single. Get rid of the mindset that everything in your life should revolve around your romantic life. Or that a romantic life is the only type of life that matters. Get rid of the mindset that you're entitled to sexual sin because you are single. Get rid of the self-pity that often accompanies singleness and see the reality of your current state of singleness for what it is. The only reality you have. A reality worth investing in. The reality God gave you for a purpose. The grass is greener. Three years into my marriage, I let the world of fantasy take me all the way to the edge. I was convinced I had married the wrong person. I was convinced I couldn't continue in my marriage. All I could see was divorce, followed by a season of promiscuity. Satan is very crafty in getting us to think that a quick decision like divorce is easy and will bring us immediate and absolute relief from all problems. The illusion is that these types of decisions are like a rewind button to the days we were, quote, free, like breaking one Lego piece off from another with no strings attached. Clean, quick, and painless. And he is so good at duping us with this fantasy tunnel vision. I remember the specific day I pulled out my journal, August 3rd, 2007 deciding I should assess all of my options before I made a final decision. I'm so thankful I did. I wanted to put Satan's Lego theory to the test and see how easy and painless a break like this really would be. I came up with three concrete choices, knowing I would need to consciously make one of them. I wanted to write out every, quote, ripple effect each choice would have attempting to envision what each choice would actually look and feel like in reality. It's amazing what happens when we bring reality into Satan's fantasy equation. Like a morning sunrise evaporating the fog, the picture changes quickly. What was supposed to be one Lego piece simply separating from another turns into an elaborate house of cards, with one break causing the rest to come crashing down with it. What follows are excerpts from my journal dated August 3rd, 2007. Choice number one. Listen to the little voice. Get a divorce. Quit my job. Move to San Diego. Work at Starbucks. Get a master's degree. Live near the beach. Play sports. Try to pick up attractive women. Try to find attractive women who'd want to have sex with me. 
This choice involves, I would have hollow sex with insecure girls who don't really care about me. I'd get a reputation as a player, as a people user. I'd wreck friendships. I'd be lonely. I'd end up getting married to someone eventually anyway. And I'd be right back where I started. I would be severing myself from pretty much all of my current friendships. Having everyone, including my family, look at me with shame for the rest of my life. I'd have to completely start over with zero friends. No one to talk to about my struggles. Isolated. All the friends I currently have would basically be gone. I'd no longer be able to work in ministry for the rest of my life, most likely. Crossroads, the church I pastor, would be kaput. I'd be disobeying God's calling on my life to lead this church. I would segregate myself from kingdom work, and my concern would now be to make sure my needs got met. Divide up my possessions, have memories with Jen the rest of my life, risk never having a family or support system, risk no career stability ever. Break covenant with God and witnesses I made on my wedding day to stay married. I will look like a hypocrite to everyone I've ever ministered to or preached to, causing them discouragement in their walks with God. Choice number two. Persevere and make my marriage work. The risk here is I will go on being unfulfilled and feel like half a man for the rest of my life, feeling empty, hollow. To change that, I decide to fully dive into the current life I'm living. I gear all of my efforts around investing in Jen and in our marriage. Whenever I'm tempted to do something for myself, like fantasizing or porn or checking a woman out, I instead dive into my life and invest something into Jen to make her life better. I submit to knowing God brought Jen and I together for his reasons and he is in control. Choice number three. Go on living conflicted. Put on a good front by preaching the sermons you get paid to do. By slipping every now and then into porn, yet wanting it always. Always wishing Jen would divorce me. Never feeling close with Jen. Choice number three is definitely the worst choice of the three and is what I feel right now. End of journal entry. Reality is powerful. Repercussions are powerful. I chose choice number two. What I realized was that all the time I spent in fantasy was preventing my heart from being able to invest in my reality. When my heart was somewhere else, it couldn't be present in my marriage. It had no desire to humbly love my wife and invest in what we have. As a result, reality just continued to shrivel up. I came to the very important realization that fantasy literally does not exist. My only choice was to reject reality or embrace reality. I chose to embrace it, not begrudgingly or out of obligation, but to truly embrace it with joy, to embrace it as the only thing I have, as the undeserved mercy given to me from God. Imagine if you never mowed your lawn, or if you never shaved, never brushed your teeth, and never showered. Not a pretty picture, right? Yet why is it we think our marriages will just take care of themselves? 
And why are we so surprised when we fail to invest in our marriages and then find they aren't going so great? You've likely heard the statement, quote, the grass is greener on the other side, end quote. This is the reason people pursue affairs and divorce. This is the deception of fantasy we buy into. A better and truer statement is, quote, the grass is greener where you water it, unquote. Or take care of your lawn because it isn't going to take care of itself. Or water and mow your lawn and the other lawns won't be as appealing. In looking back to 2007, my mentality was still stuck in a quote, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, mode of reciprocity. Something I later found out doesn't work, as I wrote about in chapter 2. But what I discovered was there is a need to and a beauty in embracing reality. Reality is the only place where freedom dwells. Living in fantasy only sucks the life out of us. Fantasy enslaves, traps, and imprisons us, leading us deeper and deeper into despair until we finally snap. What I'm trying to get across is a simple truth. Every ounce of energy you spend away from your marriage is an ounce of energy you could have invested in your marriage. Let those temptations to run away be the very fuel that motivates you to serve your wife, to enroll in counseling, to buy her flowers, to write her thoughtful notes, to do the laundry, to go on dates, and to do whatever is needed to take care of your marriage. Tell yourself, quote, if my marriage is so bad that I want to run away from it, I will take time to intentionally invest in it and make it better so that I won't want to run away so badly, unquote. Once you start investing in reality, don't keep track of the scoreboard. You'll be tempted to, but if you cave into this, you'll end up worse off than when you started. Know that there may not be an immediate return on your investment. For that void, you have the all-sufficient grace of Jesus, your power source, your primary engine, your groom. Don't do this for the kickback. Do it out of worship and gratitude. Your investment of worship and sanctification will produce lasting fruit in God's way and in God's timing. So persevere in it. Fantasy produces barren apple orchards overrun with weeds. Investing in and embracing reality brings bountiful orchards full of fruit, not only for you, but for your wife, your children, and all of those your life touches. Fantasy kills. Reality brings life. Which one will you embrace?